Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubel, MD, episode number 36. This is Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight and feel better so that you can have the life you want. This is the resource you've been looking for to guide you on the journey to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food. Here's your host, Dr. Katrina Ubel. Hello, my friend. I am so excited today to share with you an interview that I recorded with Angie Beauchene, MD, who is a practicing pediatrician who lost 110 pounds, yes, 110 pounds, utilizing the coaching tools I teach and not only did she lose it, she has kept it off. I did not personally coach her. Rather, she and I both went through the same coaching program to lose the weight. But I wanted her to come on the show to share her story because she's so willing to be candid and honest about what it's like to lose weight as a doctor and also what it's like to live in a body that's 110 pounds less than it used to be. Plus, she's also totally cool. (laughs) We dive into all kinds of fun topics in this interview, including loose skin. So be sure to keep listening to hear more about that. Angie is starting her 20th year in general pediatrics practice in Idaho. She's very happily married and the proud mom of two sons who were both born during residency. Professionally, besides full-time practice, she's involved with quality improvement and child and adolescent mental health initiatives at the local and statewide levels. On a personal note, she's an avid cross-country skier and has also taken up yoga and stand-up paddleboarding in the last year. She also loves to knit and listen to this. She enjoys knit-alongs, mystery knit-alongs, 
binge mystery knit-alongs to go with favorite TV series like Game of Thrones and Walking Dead and home-brewed yarns, which are custom-dyed yarns based on mystery knit-along themes like Doctor Who or Orange is the New Black. Does that not sound like so much fun? Like who knew knitting was that current and fun. So if you're looking for a hobby, Angie is your gal. (laughs) So please sit back and enjoy this interview with Angie Boucher. Hi, Angie. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. Good morning. I am so glad to have you on. I've been thinking about having you on for many months now, and I'm so glad that we're finally making this happen. Yeah, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I I have to share with you that Katrina and I used the same coach. And when the coach was going to have us in the same group, I was kind of jealous. I was like, no, I'm the doctor in the group. I'm the special snowflake person. This is my role. But then it was so funny that uh, you had gone through residency at the same place 10 years, but 10 years after, I should say, that I did. Yeah. it's kind of just really one of those interesting coincidences. And it really is because we would never really have crossed paths otherwise. Me being in Wisconsin, you being in Idaho. <laughs> like, why would we meet each other? But alas, we did. And yeah, it is so fun that we went through the same program and then can share stories of you know, attendings and experiences and things, you know, that, that were the same. <laughs> Unfortunately, do feel a lot the same about this whole process too, you know, so it was yes. kind of nice to have somebody else who's, who like got the same. Gets it. Right, right, right. Well, and that was always something that I was telling our coach was like, you don't get it. You don't understand what it's like to be a doctor. <laughs> right. And you get I it. Will- I will say I was the good doctor because she'd say, at least you do what I ask because we had <laughs> fights about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that, that is true. That, that is, is true. <laughs> All right, so let's start off with you just kind of giving us, you know, kind of rundown on your story with being overweight and weight loss and how that all took place. You know, as I kind of shared, I consider myself a career fat girl. And I do, as I'm talking to patients too, there is a little bit of a story that I that I kind of tell. And, and the way the story goes, according to my mom, is at nine months of age, the pediatrician put me on a diet. I was not a breastfed baby for more than probably a month or two. And in those days, you got put on eggs by three months. And so I was apparently pretty chubby by nine months. And until, so for me, when I really made this stick, this particular process, which has been, I would say the last three years was at 50. And so I spent 50 years trying to make this work. So I really always want everyone to understand you don't have to get it right. The first time you can still get it and still get it right. You know, I was always kind of the heavy girl in elementary school and in junior high and high school, I began to sort of fool around with some things. And in high school, I would have looked pretty normal weight, but but was doing some bulimic things. I was never a vomiter, but I would do the laxatives and chew things 47 times and mm-hmm. some food restriction. And so I graduated high school at 117 pounds. And but by between 25 and 50, I spent all of those years except one over 200 pounds. And my high weight when I started this was 258. So I have everything in between as an adult weight. 
And when I was thinking about you asking this question and the things I tried, I mean, I weight watchers a number of times and I would lose, you know, I would be successful and lose weight, but wouldn't keep it off. And I did hypnosis in residency there. They had a hypnosis program and I did that. I did HMR, which was kind of like a meal replacement. That was actually the wife of an internist at my first practice. And that was pretty successful. I think partly because we had a weekly group and you had to show up and you had to present your data and kind of talk, but always starving because it was meal replacement and seven servings of vegetables. And, and that was the one year I got down below 200 in the last 25. Mm-hmm. And I did also, I think I did a sprint of South Beach and I hired several different nutritionists and there probably was some cabbage soup and some potato <laughs> Some and some other kind of crazy things. And I would tell you that I always worked at it. I always felt like I was in process and working at it and spent a lot of energy always thinking, how am I doing? But the thing that really kind of then, so then you would say, well, what turned the, what turned the corner? And so it was about three years ago and it wasn't that I was dragging at work or it was hard to find the clothes to fit or I sort of felt there was a little bias. I think my colleagues always treated me pretty well. I consider myself pretty smart, even for a doc. And I was getting to do these projects and doing these committees. And I was getting up and lecturing in front of people, despite weighing 258 pounds and feeling pretty crummy. But I decided to go see my friend's husband, who was a sports medicine doc, because I'd had hip pain since 2000. I had done a marathon in Portland at 2000, and I went to see him, you know, 13 years of hip pain, right? Whatever. <laughs> Everyone loves seeing that. <laughs> right? you know, I was like, you're right. We never take care of ourselves. So I thought, well, I'm going to go in. I, I failed like four rounds of physical therapy. And so they do all their films ahead of time, right? In ortho and everything. And he's like, well, you know, you have congenital hip dysplasia. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Wow. He's like, oh, yeah. And he said, and I'm pretty sure you have a big tear and I can see a cyst. And so MRI, and he's completely right. A lot of arthritis, I'd torn the whole labrum on the right side and had a big cyst forming. And so if I go to ortho, who says, well, you know, he walks down the hall with me. He's like, you walk like a 75-year-old, you know, when you're ready for hip replacement, call me. I go back to physical therapy. I'm going to go back to physical therapy and I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to lose weight. So more books and get prepped. All of a sudden, I kind of noticed I'm having a little bit of problem with my hearing. And so I, I go in to my, in, to my partner who's an ENT, and I have a lot of hearing loss on only one side. And he's like, let's just do an MRI. Just make sure you're not that one in a hundred. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in an MRI scanner for the second time in six months, right? Yeah. I have an acoustic neuroma. <laughs> I did not know that. I can't believe that. Wow. Right? So what was different about that is for the first time, I thought, this isn't my fault. I didn't <laughs> like that. Okay. Yes. Cholesterol medicine, because I'm overweight in the way I'm eating. My joint problems, because I'm overweight, I've done that. But the acoustic neuroma, that's just darn bad luck. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then as you look at it, so then as you kind of look at the surgery, it's actually in a cranial surgery. And they lift off a piece of the skull and they go in and they take this out. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen to me if I have to lay around for a month at this weight with joint Mm -hmm. problems? So I actually then start using this online program that I've signed up for. And this is like three years ago. And in the fall, 
And so I'm starting to lose some weight. And my older son is at college in California. And I actually had three nasty falls from this hip giving out, including an airport in front of everybody, right? And so I come home and I sign up for my hip replacement. But it's going to take a year to get on the schedule and get the practice arranged and everything. Oh, right. Because you can't just be like... I'm taking off, you guys. (laughs) Good luck. See ya. As I was coming back to do it, my partner, what actually happened is she announced she's pregnant. Ah. So, you know, you've got to practice. You can't be mad at her for that, right? (laughs) 13 years with this hip thing. I mean, I was almost hoping I'd fall and break it. (laughs) So anyway, so I set sort of up on all of this. So, and we, you know, I managed to get 38 pounds off. Awesome. By myself, right? Which felt a lot at that point. And I gave up Diet Coke, which I had been hooked on. And I will say that to some people, if you have a soda addiction, you may think about, have to think about that because even though there were zero calories, there were, there were food triggers coming Mm. from that soda every time, food associations and drive to eat thing. So I kind of had done all this. I'd set up my schedule. I'd gotten down to 220. So I'd come from 258 to 220. And Mm. my goal had been 200, but I thought this is not, you know, this is not too bad. And I was really working it, journaling it. I had worked hard and got rid of binge, binge eating, which had been a problem Mm. for me. I was a Mm. stress eater and I'd gotten rid of that. And then the person who had been doing their online school, and it turns out it's the same coach that Katrina's using, sends out this thing that she is going to put together a small group of six women to work intensely for six months in, in a coaching group. And I think this is what I need because I kind of stalled. You know, the first, mm-hmm. I made most of my progress the first six months, but then I kind of kept it. And so I do kind of the interview with her, but here's the kicker. Day one of that, I will be in the OR having my hip replaced. And so I'm like, I was almost going to put it off. And then I said to her, you know, do you think there's going to be any problem? And she says, no. So literally the first call we have, I am propped up. I have got (laughs) all my narcotics on board and I'm probably staring at the screen, but um, in our first Zoom call, but I started the two together and having that month, which was terrifying to me as a physician to have taken that month off work and gave me the time to like, I found I wanted to sleep nine and a half, 10 hours at night. Mm -hmm. I could do all my physical therapy three times a day. I could do all kind of the homework, the journaling and stuff. The other people in my group, because we cut out sugar and fat uh, not sugar and fat, sugar and flour and snacking. They all were in withdrawal and they still will tell you they think that my narcotics saved me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not saying that that's the solution, but it was a nice side effect. <laughs> but, but it was really that month of intense self-care. And I read, I had time to just read so many books and really all I had to do was take care of myself. A first, right? I mean, like in your whole adult life, had that ever happened before that you had a chance no. like that? I mean, I was off the longest I'd been off before is probably like everybody else for maternity leave. And then, right. you're, and then you're right. Yeah. You're, it's not like you're like hanging. I love that one. It's like, well, you had vacation. Uh, pardon me. That is not yeah. vacation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting when we talked about kind of what you had invested, the coaching at the time, I mean, you know, we're, we're physicians. So I think we, you know, we have more money, but $12,000 for six months of coaching mm-hmm. seemed like a real 
splurge. And in the back of my mind, I know part of it was I'm thinking, you know, you won't be any more successful at this than you were at anything else. So, you Mm -hmm. know, if you're going to do it, you better do it. But when you think of the cost of the time off of work to do it and the way I'm in private practice, that was, we get more and more and more and more of our money as the year goes on and we cover our costs. Was off the, this was off the top. And then, you know, the physical therapy and a hip replacement is apparently $36,000 in voice. <laughs> there was quite of an investment. So yeah. as things were rolled out every month in this program, I was just like, you know what? I paid somebody. I took the time. I'm doing this. And the other thing is we had to commit the weekly calls were in the afternoon during my clinic time. And so I made all but one that whole six months. And that was probably the biggest mind shift to say, I'm as important as anybody else. I'm going to block out. I'm going to get to this call. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not, you know, we don't want to minimize that. I mean, that is like a seriously big deal because how many of us just have this automatic thought process belief of just like, oh, well, I work then. It's not going to work. I can't do it. I guess I, I can't do it. time. Right. Yeah. I don't have time, even with the physical therapy and stuff. And so that was the thing that was really different for me this time is I was going to do it and I would take the time off. And so maybe it was good that I knew I'd already dinged myself on the compensation scale because it's like, <laughs> worse could it come right, at this point, right? <laughs> how, much worse, how much worse could it get? One of the things that I liked was our coach challenges with a new skill every month. And so when she sends stuff, with that crystal ball and a book on meditation, I was like, oh, right, here we go. Okay. But <laughs> I said I was going to try this. I am a huge meditator. So if there's anything you take away from this, I would encourage you because that skill, even if I hadn't lose, lost weight, that skill changed my life at my practice. And so I have to share this with you because it was so funny. So all this is going on. My practice is trying to be really good. I mean, they came over a couple times while I was home to make sure everything was okay. They're trying to make sure I get scheduled just right. And we have one of those days, right? You know, there's like seven more people on the schedule than possible. Someone's just, they've heard you shredded by some parent in a room and, you know, <laughs> just kind of that day. And I come out and I take a deep breath and I turn around to go back into a room and my MA is like, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean? I think I'm doing really well. Yeah, I know. You're not complaining at all. <laughs> and I was like, well, I've been meditating. And she's like, bullshit. <laughs> and now, the, and now the whole office is like paused and they've like, no, this month we've been having to meditate and I've been meditating. And so I'm just visualizing my, my flower. And they're like, she shakes her head and she's well, I don't know if I believe you, but whatever it is, you have to keep it up because it's <laughs> so much better than it was before. Oh my God, that's so great. You know, and, then, and I talk with the my clients about that too. I teach them about meditation, how important it is. And I always tell them, I want you to be meditating and sleeping enough before we even talk about exercise. It's so much more important. And there's so much data about how good it is for you and how it reduces stress and how it improves your experience of your life. And we just are so like reluctant. We're like, there's something you could do for 10 minutes. It would make you feel amazing. And we're like, no, I don't have time, you know, <laughs> but I should obsess about the fact that I'm not getting to the gym. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense. No. And I would tell you, I mean, so then I went back and read John Kabat-Zinn and, you know, my husband, mm-hmm. of course, has been meditating for a couple of years, right? 
telling me and I didn't listen to that. And <laughs> the irony is my senior partner's wife had been meditating to get through a chronic pain thing. And so she introduced me to Headspace then when I was doing this. And we Headspace were Headspace is my favorite. I love Headspace. <laughs> I love it. And they have great things for kids and for your patients. Oh, no, but- I've used the kids ones with my kids. My kids love them. No, they they're love great. them. They're fantastic. And the shorts are great. And they have a feature mm-hmm. that I can to my teenage patients. Mm. I can send them a free trial. Nice. You know, they all have their phones. But yeah. So then my senior partner's like, well, what do you really think about this meditation thing? And I'm like, you've got to try it. So a couple of weeks later, I get this angry email from his wife saying, well, because you're doing it, he's doing it. But he wouldn't do it for me. And I was like, well, I not either. So it's happening exactly as it's supposed to. <laughs> but that was, I think, one of the keys is I did the work. I took the time. And when I try, and, you know, when there was something new to try, I really did it and and, and, and didn't complain like I did. <laughs> I, I didn't complain. I just questioned everything first. I just had to really understand why and then I would be willing right. to do it. But what I want to just take as a as a little take home point here, what I want to sum up is what you did was you committed to the process, right? right? And I don't I don't want to like gloss over that because that is so huge in terms of getting the success, getting the results that you want, you know, just deciding like enough with the BS, enough with the excuses, enough with like letting everything else get in the way. I'm going to tackle this as a main goal, you know, like, you know, you have your family goals, you have your work goals. And then as a personal goal, like I need to take care of this issue. I'm committed to it. I'm going to do what it takes to get that done. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for that, you know, being, having so much skin in the game in terms of finances. You know, a lot of people, I hear this all the time, like, I don't have thousands of dollars to spend to lose weight. And my response is, okay, great. You don't have to spend that. But having that money in, I mean, when I spent the money, I really was like, I know that that money is going to make me so much more serious about this process. And it really was a huge part of it just knowing like, I can't blow this off. Like I had to convince my husband that this is what we should do. And you know, I had my, my like, and I'll tell you everything too. And then it's almost like, I mean, I was like, you know, coming up with all these, (laughs) these, you know, like explanations and rationalizations, but you know, knowing that you have that much money in the game, it's like, it helps you to be so much more all in. It really is a disservice. Like if it was like $30, you'd be like, this isn't even very good. And who cares? Like it was just 30 bucks. When you have thousands of dollars in it and the value is there, it's like, okay, I, wow, I'm doing this, you know? And then you get the results like that you've gotten and I've gotten. So I don't want to gloss over that. I think that's just so critical. No. And I think, you know, one thing I would say, Katrina, especially because the people who follow your podcasts are, even if they're not physicians, they are professionals. And when I think about going to med school, we didn't have any doctors in the family. I just decided I was going to do this. And when I think about it, I didn't question it at all. I mean, I, you know, I did the work, I did the test, I applied. I was on the waiting list in Seattle, which is where I'm from, and moved with my husband as brand newlyweds all the way to this place called Wisconsin. <laughs> minus 20 degree winners. At it's, it's beautiful there too. <laughs> right? And, and I never questioned it. I mean, there was never, you know, had, you know, I didn't question it and I got through all the way to the end. So we all know what it's like to pick something hard and finish it. Totally. I realized with this weight thing, I had not 
approached it like that. And that was definitely, definitely part of, of yeah, doing it. Definitely. Like, it, yeah, because it's, there is sort of this mindset of like, it's too hard. I can't do it. I'm too busy. Like, would that have been your mindset when you're in med, in med school? You know, like you, you like do poorly on one test. You're like, forget it. I'm done. Screw this. Like, no, of course you would never do that. Right. No. <laughs> and you have to approach this in, with a similar mindset of like, I am powering through you know, the goal of becoming a physician was so motivating that you dealt with, you know, horrible calls and being exhausted and all of that to get the result that you wanted. But then with, you know, losing weight with like the minute it gets hard and we have like one hunger pang, we're like, I can't do this, you know, (laughs) and and we quit. You have a bad day. And I mean, I'm here to tell everybody that those same bad days happen, whether you weigh 200 (laughs) 48, those still happen, but I think it's, it's, so that's back to that mindfulness piece, but yeah, I think really being committed and there were, there were different personalities in our weight loss group. And there were some people I told it was sort of like tortoise and hare. There were some people that they were really all in while they were losing. And I had to learn with my particular pattern. Cause of course, you know, I went in, I'm over 50. So I, <laughs> you know, I need some slack cause I don't think old people can lose weight and, you know, right. maybe thyroid problem. Of course, I have rock solid, normal thyroid labs. And, <laughs> but I had all these excuses. But when I think about it, I think about what my skill was probably persistence. And I, the visualization for me, which was okay for me was I'm climbing this rock face and I never in the process, once I started with this, I never went back down. There were times where for four weeks, I just clung and held on in the same place, looking for the next handhold to move over or to move up, but I didn't go back down. And, yeah. and that's been something that served me well. So we, we did our six months and I lost about, I think the, she said the our coach's goal was six to eight pounds a month, which sounds ridiculous, right? But I lost seven pounds a month for, mm. you know, after the, it took me a week to stand on the scale and then I was up 10 fluid, 10 pounds of fluid with a new hip and everything and <laughs> weeks to get back. But, but so I found myself after that six months, now I'm down about 68 pounds from my original thing. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of went into a maintenance phase, which was less, less intense coaching, but then I continued to lose. And so I said, you know, originally I wanted to lose to 185. That was my big goal. Mm-hmm. Like, be better, And it would have been great. And then I sort of committed to 155. And then at some moment I, I said, okay, fine, I'll do 148. I'm not doing 135. I don't, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And, and so you get to that end though, too. So then, you know, it's been a year and I'm 10, I'm, I'm lost a hundred pounds at, I guess it would be two years then, but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. almost a year ago. I'm at the hundred pound mark and you think I could celebrate it. I could stop. I can buy size eight jeans. And, mm-hmm. but I decided to do that last bit and get to that number. And I, and I got there in January and I would tell you that is so important. There is something about saying, again, it's like that medical school goal. It's not like I got through everything but the last month right, um, or the last board. I know I got all the way. Now I can weigh whatever I choose to weigh and mm-hmm. it's a good weight, but I did that. And then I, it really builds that confidence that you can deal with whatever comes up or right. a weight from vacation or that thing. And then you have to learn the skill set of maintenance, which is a right. different 
you know, it's just like going from medical school to residency to practice. I mean, I know we all thought we were dying in residency, but that was nothing compared to the first night on practice. I had to be up all <laughs> night resuscitating patients and they're, you know, and you're all alone. Yeah. It's like all on you. There's no backup anymore. Right. Man, I thought residency was hard. This is like, you know, terrifying. So that, so let's, so. let's transition to talk about maintenance a little bit. So you've been at maintenance for a little while. And so tell me how that's been like, cause you've gone on vacations, you've done different things. And so how, like, let's talk about food wise, but let's also talk about thinking wise, how you had to transition to that. Yeah. So I think that I, I know that I still had, and I still have a little bit of the magical thinking, right? That you're going to get to maintenance and <laughs> stop doing what you did to lose weight. And you'll, you'll be able to be there, but it's not true. And I think that the journey being long enough, I mean, we all want that instant weight loss, except that if you're really doing this and working at it and, and I did have to try things that didn't work for me and then have to readjust and do it. You get a skill set so that you don't panic and have to do it in the, in the moment. And so what I found is that maintenance looked like one more time a week that I could eat something that wasn't my normal food group than when I was losing that last 10, 10 pounds. And so, so it's I, one thing, right? Not like five more meals. <laughs> right. Right. And so, you know, for, so we got rid of flour and sugar in this group and the not snacking. And I have to say, you know, both my parents are diabetic and I was definitely in that pre-diabetic range. And so I think that's why this particular plan was particularly effective for me because once you're there, now I can really see if I go have some overdue sugar or flour, that puffiness, I can go up four pounds in a day mm-hmm. from doing that with the inflammation. So I do, you know, I had been doing a, a mocha every morning, but with full sugar and with toast. Mm-hmm. With so now I do a sugar-free mocha, that's breakfast. And I just don't eat before 11. And then lunch it is usually a salad. I, like, I call it bag of salad, those pre-done salad bags mm-hmm. with four ounces of lunch meat. Cause let me tell you, it's really easy to just have one, two bags of salad and one thing of lunch meat that's lunch. And then dinner will typically be a protein, a vegetable carb, and one or two servings of veggies. And, and that's, I mean, that's the plan really for mm-hmm. the two meals and that breakfast. And we got challenged to fast which I thought, oh my gosh, this is the most crazy thing. But my husband and I now for 18 months, we do a fast every Monday, whether it's less than five. I usually, we started out less than 500 calories. Sometimes I just do two coffees with the cream. And that's been an important tool in that I will get very hungry every Monday and I will remember all the things that I've learned to do to be able to tolerate it and to get mm-hmm. through this and that, that I can do it and I'm going to survive till tomorrow. And, and you let your body dine in, right? Keep you insulin sensitive and all the good things that come from that. And it kind of resets me. I consider it a pinning to maintenance. Mm. I, mean, I know like if I do that, I, the rest of the week is going to be is going to be fine. So yeah, I have to plan carefully. I have done a number of vacations and I try to plan ahead what I'm going to do. And I typically allow myself to go out. Like we went to New Orleans was one of the ones we had and I'd never been. And we had a nice dinner every night. I allowed myself, my husband loves Sazerac. So we we went in search of the perfect Sazerac. And I kind of expected to come up five pounds. And then my plan was to do fasting until dinner every other day till I was back to maintenance. And that took me 10 days. But I had a perfectly lovely time 
at, you know, in New Orleans, it was a little different. I was at a pediatrics conference, so they've got the food and the snack out all the time. (laughs) Right. Do that mindset, but that's worked well. And so I would say that I think we really do enjoy ourselves. Now I have great support with my husband. He is Jack Spratt and he's a triathlete. And he was complaining at six feet tall of having drifted up to 178. You know, (laughs) listen to that, right? But he he did kind of halvesies with me and he jumped to 157 and the best athletic skill of his career at 56. And so he does a lot of it with me when we go and do stuff. So he sees the benefits for himself, even when he doesn't have, you know, a massive weight issue, his body just functions better when he eats this way. Absolutely. And he has a six pack back. He's so thrilled. (laughs) Good for him. (laughs) So that's been really helpful. And the flip side of the whole hip replacement thing is I didn't consider myself much of an athlete, but, you know, we stand at paddleboard once or twice a week. We hike, we did a 22 mile cross-country ski race. It wasn't the Berka Binder, but it was the Sun Valley version of that in February and swim. And so I got challenged in my group to swim a mile a year ago, April. And so I decided to do it again this year and I'll do it again every year, swim a nonstop mile. And we started yoga. And so we're pretty active and Boise is a really nice place to be active. And it's just been very surprising for me because being in pain for so many years, I mean, I don't think of myself as an athlete, but I think that's how all my friends and colleagues do now. So that's made it nice. And it probably lets me balance a little bit, you know, having a nice dinner, but we just, we really haven't put the carbs back in. I mean, maybe once a week we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll do Like in terms of grains or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like my parents are in town and the boys are both in from college and it's a family thing and we'll do waffles on Sunday, something like that. But usually we, we won't do a lot won't do a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have to just say for the listeners who are like appalled at hearing that before I did this process, I would have been too. (laughs) But you get into this, you know, mindset where first of all, the food you eat feels so good in your body. It tastes good. It fuels you. You don't feel deprived. And then you get to have like waffles every now and then, or like with my family every now and then we'll go get donuts you know, for breakfast. And, you know, what I find though is now instead of that making me want to eat a whole bunch of sugar, I get so full from it. I usually don't even eat for many, many, many hours because my body's like, it it functions hormonally the way human body should, which means that it's like, whoa, you just gave me a ton of nutrition. You do not need to get hungry. And, you know, like you don't need to eat more food. And I always think that's so fascinating because normally you would get the total sugar crash and then money eat a whole bunch of more stuff. And so it's, it's kind of nice to know, like you can do that sometimes, you know, when it's thought out and deliberate, not just, you know, random, whatever, and your body functions okay. You know, it all, it all works itself out. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's a real, I think it is a real change. And I certainly had to, on this, I had to read a lot about the keto, but I I think it helped being a pediatrician who we did a lot of ketogenic diet when I was in residency. And I have a couple of patients with seizures on ketogenic. So that was just like right there. Of course, there are these kids that survive on this 
on this. Yeah, right. Like I remember like, you know, hearing about that as a resident and being like, oh my God, what a horribly restricted life. Now I do not eat a ketogenic diet. I'm not that low carb, but I mean, I could if I wanted to, but I don't. But even so I eat way less carbs than I did when I was eating flour and sugar all the time. And it's totally fine. Your body's so happy. Your body's like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Right. Right. No. And so I think, yeah, it is part of sort of figuring that out and where your threshold, where your threshold is going to be for things. It is interesting. And, and so I sort of had to get over the, the magical thinking of, of going back. I am religious about food journal. I guess that would be, I, again, my family and particularly my husband helped me, but I use Evernote mm-hmm. on my phone. And I just, every day I just kind of have a, this is what I did. This is what I weighed. This is what I ate. And so I could go back and tell you on any given day, you know, yeah. what I ate. And that would help me when mm-hmm. I was, I could go back. And and I still food journal too. Every day I still food journal. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I've talked on the podcast before how I totally had to change my mindset about it. Now, I mean, first of all, it takes a second. I mean, it's so fast mm-hmm. to do it, but it's also like, it's just like data collection, you know, like, you know, as, as scientists, we understand this. Like if you don't have any data, it's hard to even know anything. So rather than hiding from yourself, you write down what you ate and then there you go. You have it. So, so good. So good. So let's talk about, well, first of all, let's talk about whether you think that it's harder for physicians to lose weight than the average population. And if so, why do you think that is? Yeah. I I mean, I do think it's harder for physicians as a group. I think we're a pretty, pretty fit group. So I always felt like there was a small number of us, first of all, that had like really visible weight. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think a lot of people are really working on on their weight. And I certainly have had colleagues and partners that were in the normal or just, you know, maybe 20 pounds overweight, but they're working it hard. I mean, all the time. I think it is really hard as a physician because I just really don't think we teach self-care enough. And so, you know, I was as I love Headspace and I'm thinking, oh, they should really go to all the residency programs and offer like a discounted group subscription to the residency programs and start residents out meditating every day. I mean, that would just not only help their health, but it helped the approach to practice, the approach to patients, just being a good example. And so I've always sort of felt like here we're supposed to lecture to our patients about taking care of themselves. And yet the system doesn't give us time. The system trains us on pizza and donuts and no sleep. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I, I do think that piece is harder. And we're so trained, I think, to prioritize that anything that has to do with work, whether it's patients, whether it's charting, whether it's getting to that meeting, we're really good about that. And what we've left behind is sort of pieces of ourselves. So I think, I do think that that, you know, I think that plays a lot into it. And I think that it can be hard to talk about that as a physician. I remember reading a MyDoc column and please don't get me wrong. I really love them, but it was a hard column to read, which says, if your doctor's overweight, you shouldn't be taking your kid to them if your child Mm -hmm. is overweight, because how can they help you? And, you know, I feel strongly that I still gave the same message and tried to use myself as an example of, of why you might want to really work this early with your kiddo. It has been very interesting to have to sort of change that message because there were people who brought their kids to me because they were heavy and they felt they'd been shamed by other pediatricians, mm-hmm. both as parents and their kids. And I have watched them cool a little bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> the weight. I'm not the, the, that one, that person, but I still say, Hey, I'm still the fat, the fat girl 
who was put on a diet at nine months of age. You're just seeing me in a different phase of working this problem. And if I can do it, it means everybody can do it. But you're only 15. You can't give up. I mean, I didn't give up and I'm in my 50s. So the stories had to change a little bit for patients. But I will tell you other physicians, they, in the beginning, they all thought I'd had gastric bypass. I really, and probably I confused that by going in for major surgery the same time. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> but they've been so interested and supportive and what have you done? And they've gone out and read more about low carb and intermittent, intermittent fasting that I think I was sharing with you that it, we have two big hospital systems that one, the bariatric surgeon asked me to join their group to try to promote work on healthier nutrition for people with metabolic syndrome because he doesn't want to do any more gastric bypass surgeries. He can't do enough to to treat it. And so he was so intrigued to have a physician who'd actually done it, done some of that. So And success, like true success. Yeah. So I do think it is harder. I think it's in the other piece too, is I think just making that room in your schedule, deciding you're worth it. And from the other side, I would say, you know, I was likely to be the person who like fell down of a heart attack or some side effect from the weight or, you know, how many orthopedic surgeries was I going to have to have? And if you think about just one year out of practice, this was a great investment. And I honestly, probably the biggest thing is feeling 10 years younger after having done this. I show people my driver's license. I still have to go get my driver's license. <laughs> But, you know, that really was such a life extending and practice extending thing. If that is your, your goal mm-hmm. for me to do. And don't you think though, just even had like feeling younger meaning like having more energy and that kind of thing, like just makes your experience of your job so much better rather than like, I'm dragging myself through these exhausting days. You're like, no, this is cool. I can do this. Right. Instead of just trying to exist. I'm trying, I'm getting this done so I can go do all the really enjoyable things that I like to do now and look forward to. Yeah, that's so good. So you lost 110 pounds and have kept it off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what a lot of people really struggle with, as I know, you know, is that especially when they've been overweight for a really long time, at, you know, they, they see themselves, their self image is of them as an overweight person. Right. And when they are no longer an overweight person anymore, they can really struggle with assimilating that, like figure out like, who am I as a person if I'm not overweight? Right. And your relationships with other people change. And you know, a lot of people are supportive. And then sometimes people aren't so supportive, like you're saying, like the the patients who've kind of cooled. So how I mean, this is kind of a broad question, but how is your life different? You know, overall? Well, it it is, you know, it's interesting, because I, there was a part that I was worried, like, I would lose my identity and wouldn't know who I am. But in many ways, I feel like I became more who I really am inside and always knew I was. And so people who know me, you know, closely know I've done some other things. I've published some editorials in the paper now being very vocal about immunizations and single payer healthcare. I've always had the privilege to be on some statewide groups and participate in patient-centered medical home and, and healthcare transformation. But I think instead of being more timid, I feel like I can have a stronger voice about this and more staying power for that has been nice. I had a hard time. We had an assignment to Marie Kondo, if you've done her stuff. (laughs) And like a lot of people, not only was I getting rid of the clothes in my closet that I was wearing, but I had to get rid of bags and bags of the clothes I had bought that had tags on them just in case. (laughs) Lost through all of those. 
And I was down to, for a while, I had, I mean, this was the thing. I had no insignia t-shirts. I had no t-shirt that had a logo or anything on it because I had gone through everything. And that was kind of a scary, uncomfortable month where I felt like, okay, I'm getting, do I really, maybe we should just put them in boxes in the garage. I mean, I was like, you know, I really had to decide, have I made this transformation and do I really believe I'm going to going to stick with it. Yeah. Is this actually permanent? Do I believe that I can make this permanent? By, and, and the way I'll show that to myself is by getting rid of all these. Right, right. And can I really wear a, buy and wear a pair of white jeans? They weren't comfortable. They mm-hmm. didn't want it. We could wear them on game day Fridays. I'm not wearing jeans. I mean, who would do that? So, you know, now the difference is people will, you know, a lot of my patients and friends will see me out on a paddleboard or they'll see me out hiking. They'll see me out really doing things. They'll see me at the YMCA in, in Boise. The YMCA is the place to be. It's just a fantastic <laughs> unity organization as well as the best gym and big pools. Mm-hmm. I see patients out there. And so that for me has just been a really sort of fantastic piece of things. My boys are 20 and 21 and I had um, September of my internship year and January of my second year of residency. Oh, wow. <laughs> on having one my senior. My <laughs> but I was hearing my younger ones say, yeah, they're just never home. Who knows where they are? They might be in Sun Valley. They might be over in bed. They're off somewhere, you know, doing something. And it's true. I mean, we're usually doing something. Yeah. yeah. Now, and you wouldn't say that about yourself before? No. I mean, you know, I, I get through the work day. I needed to come home. I needed to get off that hip. I needed yeah. ibuprofen. I, and then I probably would have, you know, watched some TV. I picked back up my knitting, really a very good knitter. And so I've been able to pick back up knitting. I started doing some of this writing and have been doing some family stuff with that. I was courageous enough. One of the things I had to do was for a while, I put aside some committees. It's really easy, as you know, and I think we were talking about that with a board or something with you, Katrina, is it's really easy to get asked and you say yes and you say yes. And so right. I, for a while, I put that aside and then I've agreed to be on a few, but it's very different where I am not just doing everything. And I've said, you know, I'm going to do this for a year. And if this new committee, you know, achieves where it's going, great, but I'm going to reevaluate that in a year. And maybe it's not going to be worth my time and I'll do something different. My husband and I kind of have gone through having some close friends drift away. And I can't tell you if it's this so much, or just maybe that the age our kids are getting out to college. And, you know, we were very Mm -hmm. tied to school stuff. But as you do different things, you do sort of gravitate. So we've gravitated more to some couples who are doing more physically active things or they're out in the community uh, more. I think of that as just kind of the evolution of a life. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to have the same friends all the way through. And sometimes a friendship is sort of complete, you know, like what you had in common is, is no longer there. And, you know, and that doesn't have not even have to be really sad. It's like, that's cool. That was fun. And now we're off doing this with these people. And, and that's great too. Ultimately though, the reason you do it is for yourself. And you and I both know because we went through this process together, but it's worth, you know, mentioning that it's not, you know, just learning how to eat so that you can lose this weight and keep it off permanently. It's learning how to manage your mind, you know, managing your thinking about your whole entire life, every facet really, so that you're no longer using food to make yourself feel better or make your life tolerable. And so once you really make that shift and make that change for yourself, it's like, 
you know, that's just like your new normal way of thinking. You kind of forget that you might have in the past been like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, let's No, I don't want you to be upset about not having dessert, you know, like, okay, let's have it versus like, I don't need that. If you would like to have it, it's totally fine. Right. Right. But it's really not my problem if you're upset about it. <laughs> no, it, it is still tough. So they are here for the eclipse and my boys are home from college and it's our anniversary weekend. And, and I've stuck to my guns, but there have been moments where I've had to say, oh, I should just make this that everyone will like it better. And then like, no, this is how we do taco salad. And yes, mm-hmm. I'm going to yoga class. And yes, I'm doing my call with Katrina. And yes, I will spend my laps on Sunday morning and people will just have to suck it up. I don't do that anymore. I mean, you know, that's, right. sort of, that's not what I do. So yeah. yeah. So, so they're kind of still getting used to this version of you. Yeah. Which I think is normal and fine and really their journey, not yours. You know, so it's like you can't try to control their journey so that you feel accepted. You just accept yourself for who you are and care for yourself in the way that you know you need to and want to. And then they get to have whatever thoughts they want. It's really kind of neither here nor there. So let's switch gears and talk about something that I think that is not something everybody, you know, talks about, but everybody wonders. And so when you lose 110 pounds, there's some skin, some extra skin. So let's talk about that because I have heard people even say, well, I don't want to lose too much. Then I'll have all this skin and then I'll have to do the skin surgery and, uh, you know, kind of people using it sort of almost as an excuse. Well, I don't really know if it's even worth it because my body will look worse if I'm thin. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, it is really true, but I would tell you, first of all, there are terrific bras out there and Lycra is a miracle material. (laughs) (laughs) So... You do notice that. And the thing that I think I was sharing was the first place I lost a lot of weight in this and saw it was in my neck. And I thought, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to have to have this fixed. And you have to understand, I was not really a makeup person kind of thing. And I had sort of like always in my mind said, I'm never doing plastic surgery. I'm not Mm -hmm. vain kind of a thing. Not that I not that I would judge anybody else, but for me, this was just kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. But this one, I was like, oh, I got to do this. I mean, I would have my hand on my neck and I'd be like, I got to. <laughs> and barely because I could see it. And what I would share is that, yeah, I think I think I have sort of like a 53-year-old looking neck like everybody else, but it got tighter. Mm-hmm. It was the first thing, but it has gotten slightly better. Your skin does not come back, and certainly at least in your 50s, the way it does before. And so I I was going to do... I had a big weight loss that one year, nearly 20 years ago, first in practice where I'd gotten under 200 and I was going to have the tummy tuck type surgery then and did not do it. And for a long time thought, well, that's what made the difference of why I gained the weight back. But this time, you know, I have, I mean, you have that paniculus there and, you know, and in the heat, it can't, you have to watch, you don't get yeasty and stuff. And I just decided this time that I was going to do it, that I had done all this other stuff and hard work, and that this was the logical next thing to do. Now, you have to look around and decide what else you're going to do. And for a while, I thought, oh, my arms. But then as I watched, I think a lot of us don't like love our arms. And I saw Kira Sedgwick in a movie, and I thought, she has 50-year-old arms. If Kira Sedgwick can do sleeveless with a little bit of waddle, I can do. (laughs) And then, you know, I've been doing a little more weightlifting, and that helped with that. And so you do kind of have to pick where it's going to start and where it's going to end and acknowledge that like other wrinkles and things like that. Some of this is just the wear and tear of, of where you've been and what you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I decided I was going to do the stomach surgery piece. So I went and saw a plastic surgeon, I want to say two months ago to kind of, you know, this is my first foot in the thing and to see her. And so she's just really fantastic. I, for me, it was a great visit because she's the same age. Kids are the same age. She's not wearing makeup, but she's very smartly dressed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. flats in a dress. And we're talking about where we paddle, stand up paddleboard, and she's not wearing makeup. And this is, you know, so, and she's very businesslike and she talks through sort of the whole process and what it's going to be like and time off. And you don't do it in the summer because you got to wear this binder or something that's really hot and sweaty and you're going to have to take three to four weeks off from work. (laughs) Your brain starts exploding, right? Not again. again. And of course my partner's pregnant again. So uh, (laughs) you guys are really lined up nicely. Really lined up with us. Thinking about, you're thinking about all of this and and she's telling you, you know, and, and if there's some people have a little split in their diastasis and if that's there, I'll tighten that up. And, you know, sometimes I have to do, I do some liposuction to get a last of the fat or if it doesn't, doesn't fit nicely into your hip to, to kind of smooth that. So she does her whole spiel and it's a lot like I think we all do with some of our consults and things. And then she's okay, let me look at you. And then, and I thought, oh God, okay, here we go. Right. So <laughs> look at me. And then she's like, you don't have any fat on you. I'm not gonna have to do any liposuction. And then she she has me sort of push at, you know, bear down. And she's like, you don't have any split in your diastasis. My gosh, you've got a lot of muscle down there. And she said, oh, you're going to do really well with us. So that was a real mind thing for me. Wow, actually what I've done has put me in pretty good shape for this. And so I have put myself on the books for next April is the time we could make it work with the (laughs) brain and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's not a bad thing because that really encouraged me to continue with the working out, gives me longer at maintenance. And so then, you know, and to think about it. And so then I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell everybody I'm having a hernia repair. <laughs> and one of my friends said, good friend said, why do you have to tell people you're having a hernia repair? Why can't you just tell people you're having the excess skin taken off? And so I really had to chew that for a month mm-hmm. or so because that didn't fit with the way I thought about myself. And now yeah. I think I'm to the point now where I've told everybody, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this taken off. And and it's really a quality of life issue, right? Like, you know, we, we, you and I have talked about like, you know, fitting the stomach into a swimsuit, not having it come out the leg hole and like things like that. Like it's not a vanity thing. It's a, like a skin hygiene and movement, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Thing for doing it. So I'm kind of getting that mindset and, you know, she, you know, she says, I apologize. There's no competition in our market. It's for, for us. She said it would all be out of pocket with my insurance because it's elective. And she said, so it's $12,000. And I thought. The irony. <laughs> irony, right? <laughs> coaching costs. But I thought, well, compared to a hip and it's nothing compared to the cost of the, the time off. And so I started to try to talk myself out of it. But then I thought, I really like that month off. Wait, you know, I can yeah. read right? I could go to the coast. I can, you know, what yeah, do you think? Right. <laughs> You're like, these might be kind of this blessing in disguise, these one month, you know, foresight. Right. Right. Foresight things. <laughs> and so, you know, to kind of wrap the story up. So I had just this, May and June was everything. I had to have a gyne procedure and I took prophylactic antibiotics that gave me C. diff that relapsed. Oh my gosh. I had this, con- I had this consult and then, you know, you're doing your regular mammogram and my first yeah. call 
to be. And then I had to be back in the MRI scanner with this acoustic neuroma. And so we sent everything off to the House Institute in LA. And I just a couple of weeks ago had the consult with their doctor who said, you know what? It looks smaller than before. It's not changing. Your hearing's been stable for three years. This might not do anything for 20 years. I'd just not worry about it. Oh my gosh, yeah. what great news. So that was kind of, you know, but that was, what do you mean don't worry about it? I thought, <laughs> I it. no. So, uh, so anyway, I think sort of there is something to be said about this, pac- this patience and some of this, some of this arc about things and working the things that you can work and have some control over. And so as I was looking up life expectancies, mine is at 53, mine is at least 84. Mm-hmm. And so now I have to think about what do I want to do with the next 30 right. years? I can promise you it's not be in the clinic every weekday. Yeah. Well, and it's also to not stress about trying to lose weight for 30 more years, right? Like, I think that's something that, that we kind of underestimate how much of our time and mental energy goes into thinking about, you know, what should I be doing? Oh, I want that. I shouldn't have eaten that. Should I do this? Oh, maybe I'll try that program. Ooh, you know, chasing the next shiny gold diet program, you know, like how much of our lives that occupies when you take care of that and that's gone and done, like that opens up a whole new world for you. I mean, look how active you are, but like even other things, right? You might be, I mean, the sky's the limit on all these things. 30 years is a long time. A lot of experiences you can have. It's so great. And so doing the clean out, I had a stack of 29 books on how to lose weight. said These are gone. And instead of like journals, that sort of start over every three to four months. This is what I'm going to do kind of thing. I've been writing sort of family stories. And I thought that's what I want my boys to have. I don't want them to pick up this journal about, oh, here I am again. And, you know, I'm back up 30 pounds and this is what I'm going to do. I want them to read about, you know, the time their their great grandfather, you know, slipped on a catfish and had came running up the dock with a catfish wiggling out of his behind, you know. Or, <laughs> that, that's what I want to leave behind is kind of it. Yes. Yeah. It gives you a chance to really kind of reevaluate your whole entire life. Like if I don't have so much of my life consumed by this weight issue, like who am I going to be and what am I going to leave behind as a legacy and all of that? I think that's so great. Yeah. So good. So as your final words of wisdom to us, (laughs) what kind of advice would you give to other physicians out there who want to lose weight, whether it is a hundred plus pounds or just five to 10? So I would say it is never too late to do it. You can do it at any age. And there was someone in my group who was in their mid-60s and was successful. It is absolutely worth doing it and set a goal and do what it takes to get there. And then celebrate and be really, really own that. Really own that. Give yourself the sense of that, that natural pleasure we get from accomplishment. Right. You know, when you never accomplish this goal, like you are dragging that out forever. Like if you had to be in med school and residency forever without being able to accomplish the goal, like, you know, why bother? Right. You know, like let's get it done and move on. Same thing with weight. Right. No, that, that piece is really huge. And, you know, again, it comes in, in fits and starts. And I think I was sharing with you that my weight loss was consistent. If you look monthly, but I often went for several weeks during the month before I would lose and then would lose a lot of it. Yeah, me too. In a chunk. And so the first thing may not work and the third thing may not work, but you know, you will get this if you're consistent about it. I think 
it really helps to have a group that's a support group or accountability. And it is well worth making the time for this. If you aren't going to do that, the one tool I would really go look at meditation and mindfulness. I never meditate for more than 15 minutes. That's my preferred length, but I get up and do that at least six out of seven mornings. Do Mm -hmm. that. I would really encourage you. It that has changed my approach to practice. Patients are not attacking me. It really shifted to I'm in a partnership. I'm there to help. I'm not there to fix anybody or solve everybody else's problems, but I'm there to help. You offer the value that you can offer and then they do with it what they can. Yeah. Yeah. And what they will. That is so good. So good. Angie, thank you so much for coming on. It was so fun. Really, really appreciate it. Yep. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Weight Loss for Busy Physicians. Now, take the next step and go to KatrinaUbelMD.com to download just what you need. Join us again next week for more support to keep you in control and on the path to freedom around food.